Welcome to Podcast by Brodies. This episode of the Employment and Immigration series is brought to you in association with Workbox by Brodies, our award-winning online HR and employment law resource. I'm Katie Spearman, a practice development lawyer in Brodie's Employment and Immigration team, and today I'm joined remotely by Hazel Coots, a senior associate in the team. Welcome to the podcast, Hazel. Thanks, Katie. So with the end of the job retention scheme nearing ever closer, on this episode we're going to be looking at post-furlough options for employers, including the new job support scheme announced by Rishi Sunak last Thursday as well as the job retention bonus, and also chatting through some of the alternatives to redundancy that businesses may want to consider as part of their strategic planning for the months ahead. So Hazel, there's quite a lot for employers to consider at the moment. They'll have various factors to weigh up in in what's a difficult financial climate. But perhaps if we start with the end of the job retention scheme, and then the new job support scheme, which has been announced... Yes, absolutely. It's a difficult time for employers. The job retention scheme comes to an end on the 31st of October. So employers with employees still in furlough will have to think about suitable arrangements for the 1st of November onwards. For employers who are experiencing a reduced demand for work, one option would be the newly announced job support scheme. There are various criteria which employers need to consider, but the new scheme, which will last for six months from the 1st of November, may give employers the option of keeping employees in viable jobs on shorter hours. Yeah, that's right. And and like you say, the government have made it clear that this new scheme is meant to be utilised by businesses with viable jobs going forward. I suppose they must be able to to see a future need for, for the role. In terms of how the new scheme will work, there's quite a lot of detail which has been provided already, including which employers will be able to access the scheme, which employees it will cover and, and how the short-time working arrangements might might work. We won't go into all of that detail just now as it's all carefully detailed on our dedicated job support scheme workbox page, which is free to view for everybody. And I'll put a link to the relevant sections in the show notes. So each business will have different considerations to think about in deciding whether the scheme's suitable for them. But perhaps, Hazel, you could just give a quick overview of the support offered by the scheme. Of course, under the job support scheme, the employer will pay for its employees for the time worked and the cost of the hours not worked will be split between the employer, the government through the scheme and subject to a cap and the employee through a reduction in wages. Eligible employees should earn a minimum of 77% of their normal wages subject to the cap. So for example, where an employee worked 33% of their normal hours the employer's cost would be 55% of the employee's usual salary, with the government contributing 22%, subject to a cap of £697.92 per month. The government's contribution won't include pension and national insurance contributions, though, and employers must continue to pay these amounts, but we're not quite sure yet on what proportion of the usual wages. Like you've mentioned, Katie, Further details of the criteria to be met in order to be eligible for the scheme can be found on our workbox pages. Yes, uh, a couple of other key points I would add are that, importantly, employees cannot be made redundant or put on notice of redundancy during the period within which their employer is claiming the grant in respect of them. So this differs from the job retention scheme. Also, I suppose more similarly to furlough, employers will need to agree any new short-time working arrangements with employees in writing prior to implementing any changes. And you don't have to have furloughed employees previously. Yes, that's right. 
I'd also just add that it's expected that the employers will be able to make a claim from December 2020 on the gov.uk website, although I suspect further details will have to follow on that. Yeah, I think we'll be getting some more information on that hopefully fairly shortly. So hopefully that's provided the basics on, on the new job support scheme based on the information that we've got so far. But if we move on now to to have a talk about some of the other options for the end of furlough, Hazel. Yeah, so once the job retention scheme ends, there are a few other options to think about. The most straightforward, but also probably the most expensive option would be to end the furlough arrangement and have employees return to work on their existing terms and conditions. Employers will have to look at the terms of their furlough agreements with staff to establish the appropriate arrangements for bringing furlough to an end. Um, They would need to write to employees notifying them of the return date. There isn't a minimum period of notice required to end furlough unless that was agreed as part of the furlough agreement, but you would be expected to give reasonable notice of the change. Okay, so, so that would essentially be an option if you were ready to reinstate employees on their, their pre-furlough terms. As this is the most expensive option, and we know employers will be looking to save costs wherever they can, they may also want to consider changing employees' terms and conditions on their return from furlough, mightn't they? Yes, that's right. Amending terms and conditions might be one option. Employers might want to think about reducing employees' working hours, perhaps implementing pay cuts across the board or introducing altered shift patterns. There are quite a few options to think about. But if you're considering bringing employees back on reduced hours, remember that you might be able to take advantage of the job support scheme. Katie, you also mentioned that written agreements might need to be in place with employees in relation to this job support scheme. I suppose in implementing any changes, it's likely that you're going to need employees' consent. Yeah, and and if you're thinking of changing employees' terms and conditions more generally, then, then you might find our previous podcast episode on changing terms and conditions helpful. It was recorded before the job support scheme was announced, um, but myself and Louise Usher take you through the the key considerations to think about, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can have a listen. Thanks, Katie. It's probably also worth flagging that when we talk about changing terms and conditions, that the collective redundancy consultation obligations might apply if 20 or more employees are likely to be affected in one establishment. So if you plan to force through changes by dismissal and re-engagement if employees don't consent, or the offer is an alternative to making redundancies, then the collective consultation obligations may well be triggered. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, as as well as the job retention scheme and the job support scheme, we also have the job retention bonus. So this is an incentive for employers to keep on furloughed employees after the coronavirus job retention scheme ends. So it's essentially a a one-off taxable payment of £1,000, which employers will receive provided that the eligibility criteria are met for every furloughed employee who they previously claimed for under the job retention scheme and and who remains employed through to the end of January 2021. And unlike other grants, it doesn't have to to be passed down to the employee. Yes, the job retention bonus could act as an incentive for employers to retain employees and it could actually be quite a significant sum. Although employers will have to wait, I suppose, until February 2021 before they can claim the bonus. And I imagine many employers will be looking for more immediate cost-saving solutions. Yeah, it's not an immediate benefit, like you say, and people might be looking for something in in the shorter term. But nevertheless, something which certain employers will be able to, to take advantage of. 
We've got plenty of detail on the bonus and the eligibility requirements on our Workbox Coronavirus Ending Furlough FAQ page, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So moving on now to a topic which, furlough aside, will be relevant for many employers at the moment, unfortunately, and and that's redundancies. So I thought it would be useful to perhaps chat a bit about alternatives to redundancies and ways of potentially reducing staffing costs. Not only as employers need to explore the alternatives as, as part of a fair redundancy process, but also because redundancy can also come with negative impacts for employers as well as employees, which are maybe often overlooked, Hazel. Absolutely. Like you say, it's a very difficult climate at the moment. Um, Employers are unfortunately having to make some very tough decisions in relation to staffing levels and considering the alternatives, um, not only in terms of reducing outlays for redundancy payments, which can be costly, but also in terms of loss of skills. Skilled and experienced employees may be hard to replace when things pick back up. Absolutely. And and last week, ACAS, CBI and TUC issued a joint statement um, with a message encouraging employers to exhaust all possible alternatives before making redundancies and, and for employers who recognise the union to, to work with the trade union and the employees who affected. They also put together some key principles to think about in terms of the redundancy process. And again, I'll, I'll link to these in the show notes. So in terms of the different alternatives to consider, we've touched briefly on changes to terms and conditions such as pay cuts, reduced hours, and perhaps we could just touch more specifically now on a couple of other alternatives, which are layoff and short-time working. So short-time working can be an effective alternative to redundancy. We've seen a type of short-time working arrangement being used, I suppose, in the, the new job support scheme. But if we put that scheme to one side and talk about short-time working more generally, it involves reducing an employee's hours of work either for a number of days each week or for a number of hours during the working day, which results in the employee receiving less than half a week's pay. There must, however, be an express or implied contractual right for you to impose short-time working. It's something that's commonly used in the construction industry, but perhaps not generally throughout many industries. Short-time working can continue for as long as is permitted in the employee's contract, but an employee can bring their employment to an end and claim a statutory redundancy payment after four consecutive weeks of short-time working or six weeks in a 13-week rolling period. During periods of short-time working, an employee may be entitled to a statutory guarantee payment, but this is just a minimal amount. Yeah, so that could be a a good short-term option to consider. Separately, it might be that some employees are actually open to the option of working more flexibly, perhaps during reduced hours on a more permanent basis. It might be that you've already received flexible working requests. So so that would be another way of potentially reducing costs, but which would also suit the employees as well. Yes, I think many employers are expecting an increase in flexible working requests and it's going to be something employers will need to give consideration to if they want to retain key personnel. Job sharing is another option. Perhaps where two members of staff could share a full-time role and split the hours between them. Again, it's important for employers to ensure that they consult and agree changes with employees in the first instance rather than try to impose changes. Indeed. Sorry, we've slightly strayed off topic there, but perhaps now we could chat a bit more about layoff. So layoff occurs where employees not provided with any work, so doesn't receive any pay during that week rather than a reduction in hours and pay. An employer can impose 
compulsory layoff periods if they've got a contractual right to do so. But if this isn't the case, they would need to see employees agreement to a period of no work and no pay, which could be tricky. The same rules and statutory redundancy payments and statutory guarantee payments apply as for short-time working. Thanks, Hazel. So I guess, like you say, there is no pay during these periods of layoff. So it's unlikely that employees be able to sustain these arrangements for a prolonged period. So again, perhaps more of a short-term measure. In terms of more longer-term alternatives then, what are the, the options to consider? So there are probably a few options. It, it might be that redeployment or retraining staff is something your business consider if there are areas that are busier than others. Yeah, I suppose a good example of that is in retail where perhaps shops which have had to close in previous months are, are yet to pick up in terms of footfall, but the online side of their business is seeing an increase in orders. So shop staff could perhaps be redeployed to handling online orders. You might also have expanded your business into a new area as a result of COVID, which might need more manpower as a result. So you can consider rather than recruiting in those areas, whether existing staff have transferable skills or, or training that they could undergo to carry out a different new role. Absolutely. A lot of businesses have had to diversify. So perhaps restructuring redeployment could be a, an effective way of retaining staff. Also, like you say, as a way of limiting the time and money spent on recruitment when there's an upturn in the business. Employers might also want to think about the makeup of staff across their organisation. Could, for example, work contracted to agency staff be carried out in-house? If you're going to think about this, it's important to remember that before terminating engagements with agency staff, you'll have to consider any contractual obligations with the employment agency, for example, in relation to periods of notice, etc., Yeah, that's a a good one to consider. And I suppose on the flip side of analysing what can be done in-house, it may also be equally relevant for some employers to consider outsourcing certain work if it can be done more cheaply by a service provider. So an outsourcing will often fall within the definition of a service provision change under the CHUPI regulations, which amongst other things could mean that employees assigned to the service would transfer to the new service provider on their existing terms and conditions and there will be an obligation to inform and in most cases consult with appropriate representatives of the affected employees. That's right, it's best to seek special advice in in an outsourcing situation because it can be quite tricky and we'd be happy to to provide advice um, in relation to employment provisions that might have to be included in a commercial agreement, things like warranties and indemnities covering off both the start and the end of the services. Yeah, absolutely. So is there anything else which you feel is worth mentioning, Hazel, and we're, we're talking about alternatives to redundancy? One thing I'm coming across is employers thinking about removing or reducing employees' benefits and bonus arrangements. So where benefits are contractual or discretionary, that will determine whether an employer is able to make changes without consent or consultation. But it's definitely worth looking at whether changes might be possible and the potential cost savings because amendments to benefits and bonuses are likely to be more palatable for employees in the current climate. Yeah, that's another good point, Hazel, and and one for employees to, to give some thought to as well. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks very much to Hazel for offering her expert advice and thank you for listening. 
hopefully we've provided a useful overview of some of the options you might want to explore as part of your post-furlough planning or as an alternative to redundancy. Be sure to regularly check our Workbox coronavirus pages, which are being continually updated in line with government announcements. We'd also be happy to discuss any of the issues further with you, and I'll put a link to Hazel's contact details in the show notes below if, if you want to get in touch. Workbox by Brody's users can also find lots of useful information in relation to redundancy and the alternatives on our dedicated redundancy pages. If you want to learn more about Workbox, arrange a free virtual demonstration or a free trial, then just click the link in the show notes to get in touch and the team will be happy to hear from you. You've been listening to the Employment and Immigration series of Podcasts by Brodies. If you'd like to hear more, you can subscribe to Podcasts by Brodies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 